Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go, Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We've got a busy afternoon coming up with you. Deuce McAllister will join us about half an hour from right now. We will talk with him about the New Orleans Saints and how they go forward sans Drew Brees. And uh, if he's got any information as to how long that might be, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated will join us in the 4 o'clock hour and Ole Miss Athletics Director Keith Carter will join us to start the 5 o'clock hour. We'll talk with him about scheduling uh, the shell game that is the SEC football schedule over these uh, next few weeks and uh, some basketball stuff and get into a whole lot more. If you missed it uh, just in the last little while uh, on the Ole Miss men's basketball Twitter feed, there was an announcement that Kermit Davis has tested positive for COVID-19. The statement said after going through the team's regular protocol Monday, it was determined today, Tuesday, that head coach Kermit Davis tested positive. He retested today, and those confirmation results are still pending. The team is going through contact tracing, and those found to be a uh, close contact will go into quarantine per medical guidelines. If Tuesday's test also comes back positive, Coach Davis will remain in isolation at his home and miss the first two games of the season. Ronnie Hamilton will serve as the team's interim head coach. During Coach Davis's absence on the sidelines, Coach Davis will still be able to observe practices and communicate with the team virtually. Ole Miss, by the way, is, what, uh, eight days away from its season opener. That will happen, at least it's scheduled to happen tomorrow, or excuse me, a week from tomorrow uh, in the Ole Miss-Justin Reed Classic. Ole Miss is hosting three teams in Oxford. They are scheduled to play UCA at 1 o'clock. UCA coached by former Ole Miss standout, a guy who's got his uh, jersey retired, Anthony Boone. They will play on Thanksgiving Day at 1 o'clock on the SEC Network against Jackson State, and then will play at 7 o'clock against Arkansas State on Friday night, November 27th, which is tentatively the day before the Egg Bowl. I feel like we're having to use the word tentatively a lot right now. Yeah. Well, hey, guys. If the SEC goes with my schedule proposal, then the Egg Bowl uh, will be played as scheduled, and everybody will get all of their games in. All they have to do is just call me, unless you have found a flaw, because I did this in my head. And so hopefully this all adds up. But I think I've got a pretty good model that would work for everybody as far as reshuffling the schedule goes. Hey, Dad, do you think this is like Borky singing in the shower? It sounds good to him while in the (laughs) shower, just maybe not to everybody else? (laughs) Buddy, I know that I'm a bad singer, so you don't have to worry about that. Let's hash it all out and we'll figure it out. All right. Hey, Dad, what's up on a Tuesday? Uh, Not a lot today. 
Not a lot. I hear you. Not a lot. I'm just all signs pointing to Mississippi State and Georgia playing on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I'm just along for the ride on that one, though. We'll see. We'll see what happens on. Uh, I guess they'll what they'll test again tomorrow, and we'll yep. we'll see how that that hands that that hangs out for us tomorrow, and then again on what is it? And, uh, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, right? So football would have tested yesterday. Oh. They would be testing today, and they will test again on Thursday. Right. Sure. Is that not accurate? I think that's what we're well, doing during football season. They well, test the day after was, Yesterday again. was Monday. So. so they tested on Sunday. Right. They should test today. Okay. And then they'll test again on Thursday. And we get so the we'll Thursday resorts, uh, results on Friday, and if everybody's good, they all get on a plane and fly off wherever they're going. I mean, I think that's how we've been doing it for the last eight weeks. I believe you're right. <laughs> Not going to quibble. So Borky thinks he has solved the scheduling Rubik's Cube. I think so. Now, again, there might be a flaw in this somewhere. I just I haven't pointed it out myself. But it's most, it, you know how you wrote a report in college and you would read over it and it looked good, but you'd make sure, like, you'd have a buddy read it and they'd find some mistake that you just couldn't see. So maybe that's happening here, but I think this is uh, perfect. So you would move Alabama and Arkansas to December 12th. That is one week later than currently scheduled on the 5th. You would move, or I, I guess you've already passed the date, but Alabama LSU would be played on December 5th. Old Miss LSU. Okay, hold, to, hold, on a second, hold on a second. Currently, Alabama is scheduled to play Arkansas on December 5th. Right. That's Yeah. Yep. And so you okay. move that okay. game back a week. You move LSU to the 5th. Okay. You move Ole Miss LSU to December 19th. And I'll explain why in a little bit. The day of the SEC championship. It's You, you can be very confident in saying neither team will be playing in the SEC championship. You move Ole Miss, Texas A&M to December 12th, and then Texas A&M, Tennessee, to December 19th, the day of the SEC championship. And that might have to be tentative just in case Alabama does the unlikely thing and loses a game between now and then, but they would have to lose twice. So you you can be comfortable putting Texas A&M on that day because Alabama's not losing twice. And here's the rationale. So, okay, just... just. Let me ask questions along the way. All right. That would leave Ole Miss with an open date on December 5th, correct? That is right. So you would have to move. I think you have to move the LSU game because Alabama, LSU have to play each other, and you can't use the 19th for Alabama. So the reason why – so Alabama and Florida cannot schedule a game on the 19th because they are likely going to be meeting each other in the SEC championship. LSU cannot schedule a game on the 12th because they already have Florida on that day. I guess you can move that around, but that overcomplicates things. So you move Alabama and Arkansas back one week because Arkansas has the 12th currently open. They can play that day. So you move them back one week to give you a chance to play Alabama and LSU. You move... Texas A&M's two games to the 12th and the 19th because currently they are both open and they have two games they have to reschedule. And, again, you can't move Florida. So, if Ole Miss and LSU was going to be played and Alabama-LSU was going to be played, 
the only option is to move LSU and Ole Miss to December 19th and LSU-Alabama to December 5th. That is the only option to have both of those games get played. Tennessee currently has the 12th open, and um, I think I've covered everything, right? So you would have... Yes, if Ole Miss and A&M played on December 12th, which would be the add-on day, the second add-on day would make up the Tennessee-Texas A&M game that was missed this past weekend. Mississippi State just missed its game against Auburn. That's the only game that either of those two teams have missed so far. Right. So they have. So there would be no issue with playing that game on either December twelfth or December nineteenth. Why not just play it tomorrow? (laughs) Well, you could. I don't think that's an option. But son of a. I think this covers everything, unless I'm missing something. I think this would. One. All right, so let's just walk through team by team real quick. So so far, Florida has only missed its LSU game, correct? Correct. And so Florida LSU would have to be played on December the twelfth. Twelfth. Okay. Georgia has not missed a game, have they? They have not. Okay, so as it stands right now, Georgia can just play it straight through as it is currently scheduled. Which is Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Lucky them. So as long as their game is played against Mississippi State, then both South Carolina... Well, then South Carolina could potentially be played on the 12th against Georgia or on the 19th. Yes. If they have a roster, but they're all leaving at the moment. Yeah. Kentucky has not missed a game so far this year. They have Vanderbilt this week. Then they go to Alabama. They go to Florida. And they go to South Carolina. Tentatively. No, 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 no. That's not right. Kentucky played Vanderbilt this past week. So they are at Alabama this week. Then at Florida. Then at South Carolina. Right. If... Kentucky's game with Florida, for some reason, ended up postponed. That could throw a monkey wrench into this. That's when you would start looking at uh, outright Somebody's only going to play nine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Missouri had their game with Vanderbilt postponed, and it is currently scheduled to be played December 12th, which doesn't mess this up. South Carolina has not had a game postponed so far. Tennessee's game with A&M, you addressed that. And Vanderbilt, we've addressed their situation with Missouri. Georgia did not play Missouri, did they? That's correct. So that that game would have to happen on the 19th. That's their only option. Okay. But that still doesn't affect anything, barring something crazy, because Georgia's not playing in the SEC championship. So that's okay. All right, we'll walk... We'll walk through the teams in the West just to make sure we haven't missed anything. See, it, it took us 10 minutes to find something that had been missed, and we found a quick solution for it. Pretty easy, There we go. Huh? Somebody we says that uh, we should continue to use the term monkey wrench because there is plenty that could still happen. It's the cool moment. 
Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but Ceasefire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull, Ceasefire.com. Greg in Madison says somebody's going to have to forfeit, it looks like to me. Well, forfeits are not really a part of the equation. No contest would be the um, the phrase that they're using this year, where they would just declare it a, a game as if it were never even scheduled. Yeah, and of course things can change because I mean, two positive cases in College Station have ended two games as scheduled for them. So, as I understand the deal with Texas A and M, it was two positives last week, and they're dealing with one positive this week. But it's the contact tracing issue. Yeah. And so that obviously can change. But this proposal, somebody called Greg Sankey, currently keeps every game played. Not as scheduled, of course, but every game can still be played as of this moment if he just calls me and gets the smartest guy in the room on the phone. You know what I mean? At what point (laughs) do they start canceling instead of postponing? There's a question we get on the C Spire text line. And I think the answer to that is not until they absolutely have to. That's the last resort. Yeah. Yeah. If some ga- um, if, if more games get canceled, maybe like one or two more this week, and then next week a couple more, then you might have to start saying, okay, we, we can't play all of these. Sure. That that but that is when like LSU option. or Texas A and M at this point. Yeah. Because at this point. Unless I'm not thinking about it clearly, has anybody had two games postponed yet? Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Last week and this week. And Florida, right? Did Florida have two? Florida Florida's only had one. Just LSU. Okay. No, 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 no. Florida, Missouri. No, Florida played Missouri. It was just the LSU game. You're right. You're right. Yeah, remember Dan Mullen acted like a clown and started a fight? That game was... That game was postponed, but it, it got played. They 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 fit it into a bye week somewhere. Okay. Um, and then a, a secondary question from the the same person: What's the basketball player threshold for games? I don't think we know the answer to that yet, or at least I've not seen that put out publicly. Well, we're going to find out quickly. Yeah. I mean, I would think that it has to be more than five. Oh yeah. What would you think? Eight I- would be logical. I was going to say seven. Um, I said this on Twitter. I think we talked about it yesterday. Are are we still going scholarship players? Yeah, scholarship guys. Seven scholarship guys, that makes sense. I I would say seven scholarship players. Yeah. If you think contact tracing is a problem in football, just wait a, a couple weeks until basketball starts. It's a disaster. Yeah, it's going to be rough. Um, I mentioned we're going to talk to uh, Keith Carter later. I remember a game, basketball game, and this would have been late 90s. It was a Wednesday night game, and I think Ole Miss was playing Auburn. Hey, Dad, you're our resident Ole Miss historian. You may remember this. (laughs) Thursday night Ole Miss-Auburn? No, no, no. It was a Wednesday night basketball game. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And... I don't remember the entire roster, and I don't remember the specific year, but I do remember Hunter Carpenter, 
who was a walk-on player that was in the same class with Keith Carter and, nope. and that group of guys, he was the starting point guard that night. And I, I want to say that I don't, I don't think it was a discipline issue. I think it was like there was like a flu outbreak. And I think Ole Miss only played that game with seven or eight guys, and walk-ons were a big factor in the game. Good thing we've got Keith Carter on later with us today. Yeah, maybe maybe he can us. help us uh, remember that uh, a little bit later. But you right, did so we, we uh, walk- that, That's an Ole Miss player I have no memory of is is Hunter Carpenter. So shout out to he that was, guy. He he was a a walk on player um, who has been extremely successful in the financial services world. Um, his business career has been more distinguished than his basketball career was. Well, you aren't no, lying. No, Jeez, no disrespect intended. Say what? You aren't lying. Man, Great man, guy. Entrepreneur of the year. Yeah. Wow. Very good. Um, all right, so we walked through the East. Let's walk through the West just for a second. Alabama postponed with LSU. They cannot play on the 19th because that's the SEC championship game. So they will have December 12th as their only makeup game opportunity. Therefore, Alabama, LSU. Nope. LSU, Florida is already scheduled for that day. That's why they have to. That's if they want to play them all. That's why they have to move Alabama, Arkansas to the 12th and play they've got Alabama, to move that LSU to the 12th to the and play Alabama, LSU on the 5th. And then move okay. LSU, Ole Miss to the 19th. Arkansas has not had a game postponed, have they? Nope. So they they have these two dates to work with. Even though their coach has had it, they've avoided it. Right. And so Arkansas has LSU this weekend. We get a message from Hogman just a second ago that says he is looking forward to bringing the boot back to the natural state. So again, in Borky's scenario, Arkansas-Alabama would be pushed to the 12th, and so Arkansas would have an open date on the 5th, assuming they have no issues between now and then. Bet Saban would love that. Um, Auburn had their game with Mississippi State postponed this past weekend. So we addressed that one. Yep, they got both weeks to work with. LSU, Florida, is going to be played on the 12th. With no, as you said, no option to move it because Florida will be in the SEC championship on the 19th. And then Borky's solution was the Ole Miss-LSU game, which is currently scheduled for December 5th, would be pushed to December 19th. Mississippi State postponed with Auburn this past weekend. They've got the trip to Georgia this week, then the trip to Oxford, then they host Missouri on December 5th, and so they would be able to play Auburn on either the 12th or the 19th. Is that correct? That is correct. As of right now, of course. Ole Miss's game with Texas A&M this weekend postponed. That is the first one that has been postponed. They've got the Egg Bowl next Saturday, and then are scheduled to play LSU on December 5th. But in Borky's kind of flipping things around scenario, Ole Miss would play LSU on the 19th. They would play Texas A&M on the 12th and would have an open date on December 5th. 
and that leaves Texas A&M, who has lost games in consecutive weeks. They would play Tennessee on the they would play Ole Miss on the twelfth, yep, and Tennessee on the nineteenth, yep. And see, I, I I can't find a flaw in that because every game gets played, which obviously is extremely important, but also. Alabama and Florida both would play the week before the SEC championship. So no competitive advantage. So every game gets played. Alabama and Florida have no built-in advantage. Of course, things can change. But right now, I can't think of a scenario that makes more sense than that one. You can get every game still scheduled and play. No, that makes sense. I think it does. It works. And you hold your breath. Yes, (laughs) of course. And your buddy Peter Burns pointed out on Twitter, I, I didn't think about this. So Thanksgiving week, My buddy Peter Burns. Aren't you guys friends? Ah, fine. I'm just picking. Oh, oh I, thought, I thought you guys were buddies. Um, no, I like Peter. I like Peter Burns. Yeah, good guy. Um, hey, did, Dad's buddy Peter Burns. Didn't big time me like Jordan Rogers did at SEC Media Days, but that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> um, he pointed out on Twitter, I think it's a really good point. Things might get easier for the last few games of the year to keep your players out of trouble? Because is it every SEC school? I know the ones here, when they go home for Thanksgiving... Out of of COVID trouble. Out of COVID trouble. Well, and also, I mean, if there's nobody in town, then it's harder to get in trouble too. But uh, most of these schools, if not all of them, are going home for good for Thanksgiving. And so if you have your football team in town and no other students around, it's harder to go to parties when nobody's there. It's harder to get in trouble hanging out with your girlfriend when she's not in town. It's harder to be around people that aren't going through protocols and getting tested all the time when they're not in town. I thought that was an interesting point. Things might get easier for them once Thanksgiving comes. Because it begins to operate in a legitimate bubble environment. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, look, as of... Friday afternoon of this week at 5 o'clock, Starkville and Oxford are going to be kind of like ghost towns. It's going to feel like that window after everybody leaves for that two weeks before Christmas and the week immediately following Christmas where there's like no traffic and you can kind of do whatever. That's going to start three weeks earlier this year. It's kind of crazy. Deuce McAllister will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line when we continue with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, and Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau phone line to visit with one of our favorites, Deuce McAllister. By the way, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. New Orleans Saints are 7-2 and two on the year. They are coming off a win, but it was a costly win over the 49ers. Drew Brees is out for the foreseeable future. Um, Deuce, before we get to Drew, just kind of this run that the Saints are going on, uh, uh, that they're on right now, having won six in a row, what's your overall takeaway on where this football team is? Overall beat up. Uh, but I think they're in a good mindset. I don't think that they have peaked too soon. Uh, we've seen them do that the last couple of years. And, you know, by the time you get to the playoffs, you don't have anybody that's, you know, close to being healthy. And look, I know, I know it's the NFL and it's tough to be healthy once the playoffs come, but 
Yeah, you know, we, we just have to wait and see. Right now you're potentially out of um, four starters at this point, um, and we'll get a better idea once the uh, injury report comes out tomorrow and just kind of see where some guys are. And they, they, they have good depth, though, and so that, that, that will play well into their favor uh, overall. But, I mean, obviously number nine is the biggest question mark. Yeah, no, no question. And we talked about this, I guess it was last week when we visited. And I'm, I'm, is there, is there enough value put on coaches that have the ability to manage veteran rosters with regard to health as you get deeper into the season? That's really important, isn't it? It's very important. And I think the, the, one of the main focuses, obviously, the way the new CBA lays out, uh, padded practices. <laughs> So making sure that you guys can take off the pads and uh, you can still get, get get good work in. And it's been challenging this year because of COVID, because a lot of the meetings have to be virtual as well. So yeah. it's not only having to say, hey, look, uh, are we giving them enough? Do they have a, a good understanding of the game plan? Uh, have we done a great job or a good enough job of self-scouting so teams aren't getting a bead on what we're doing from an offensively as well as from a defensive standpoint? Because at the end of the day, it's about getting your team to play fast. And if you can get them to play fast, then obviously you know, you're successful as far as a coaching staff. But I think some of the guys that are still trying to implement some of the things that they're doing, that's a tough thing to do. I know when you're an NFL player, by definition, you've got to be tough. But I think there are varying levels of toughness. And I don't know that Drew Brees' toughness has ever been questioned. But if it has ever been, that can be kind of set aside forever, right? I mean, the guy played a game with fractured ribs and finished a half with multiple fractured ribs and maybe a partially collapsed lung. That's not something that you normally see. I'll put it that way. And, uh, you know, <laughs> if, if, if you're going to challenge his toughness, it's because of his size, not because he's missed some games or you don't think he can take the hits or punishment. Uh, you know, and, and I understand and know that they do protect the quarterbacks, but going into that game, he didn't know that he had cracked ribs and obviously he didn't know that he had a punctured lung going into that game. I think it was more so, um, when they did the x-ray and, and, and different things of that nature that week, it didn't show up. And those are things that happened um, in the game, and so it's unfortunate, you know. And he tried to gut his way through, but uh, you know, he, he he's tough as nails, no doubt about it. The hit in which the new part of the injury came in, it, it was flagged. Uh, I, I know the NFL's changed, and I know there's such a huge emphasis on protecting quarterbacks. Should there have been a flag on that play? Or, or was that no. one of those where you go? I don't really know that you should have called a flag, uh, thrown a flag there. No, no. I mean, if I'm being objective, it's not a flag. I mean, I can understand you saying that. Uh, you know, one of the new rules or points of emphasis is uh, the defender putting his weight on the quarterback. Uh, you know, and I don't even know if that was the case in this situation. I thought it was a good hit. It was a solid hit, uh, and uh, I hate that it even happened. But I, I don't think it was a flag. So in the reporting that was out yesterday, and I know you said we'll get more information as the injury report comes out, although Sean Payton usually doesn't talk a lot about injuries, as most coaches don't in the NFL. Uh, Some of the reporting yesterday, best case, sounds like two or three weeks, but probably more likely about the time the playoffs start. Anything you're hearing or you're led to believe one way or another to to give us more of an accurate timeline? 
He got a second opinion today, and should probably know a little bit more, uh, you know, basically today, tonight, on what his plan is as far as going forward. Um, I think optimistically, you're probably thinking three to four weeks. Um, and it's really going to – here's a couple things that you don't know or at least you feel okay about in the sense. If it was – and this is bad that we're con- – thinking about or talking about um, punctured lungs in this sense. If it was a bad punctured lung, he would have been hospitalized. He was not hospitalized. Mm. So from that sense, and and, and look, man, we're talking about punctured lungs. Which sounds really painful, by the way. Yeah, well, well, I'm sure it is. But if he was hospitalized, then you knew that that would be a lot worse. So from that standpoint alone, I don't think that you're too much concerned about that. That has to heal. That'll be obviously a, a, a natural healing on its own. From that alone, you're probably thinking two weeks in itself. Uh, the ribs, as far as multiple fractures, we don't know how bad. And so that's kind of the, the unknown. The one thing I do know about Drew Brees, any and everything he can do, whether it's some infrared treatment, whether it's um, some acupuncture, whether it's the cryo chamber, he is going to do any, everything he can to be able to try to get himself uh, back as quick as possible. And that's really where the team will kind of try to hold him back from himself. You know, the, 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 with the new rules this year, you can't put a player on injured reserve. They have to be there for three weeks. That may be the case. Uh, and if they do do that, I wouldn't be one bit surprised for them to sign a veteran quarterback to be able to step in. And by doing so, you would allow Taysom Hill to really be able to continue to participate if he is not your starting quarterback, he can play kind of those dual roles that he, he he's done the past couple of weeks. So a lot of moving pieces kind of will happen within the next forty eight hours uh, with the Saints team and the decision and what they you know eventually do with Drew and you know uh, if they feel like he he will be back in three weeks and you know there's no necessarily reason for him to go on IR. You know if they feel like it's going to be a little longer, then you know I think IR is probably the right place. I don't guess he can just rub some Advocare on it, can he? <laughs> well, I, I, trust me, he'll be taking the Advocare as well. <laughs> sure he will. Sure he will. Did you ever have a broken rib? I know you dealt with a bunch of injuries. Did you ever have that particular injury? Mine were bruised. I did have. I did play with the flap jacket for a couple of games, and obviously they've improved greatly over the last fifteen or twenty years. But mine were bruised, and they were they never were broken. Uh, you know, I never had broken ribs; just bruised. All right, so the schedule with no Drew Brees. Falcons, Broncos, Falcons, Eagles. That's the next four. It obviously gets a little tougher at the end with Chiefs, Vikings, and Panthers. But those next four, we know the Falcons are explosive, but they've been bad. We know the Broncos are just bad, and the Eagles lost to the Giants this week. Um, I know you can't take anything for granted in the NFL, but if you've got to be without Drew Brees for the next four weeks, you probably couldn't ask for a whole lot more from a scheduling standpoint, could you? Could not have asked for. I mean, and, and look, it's it's still a tough road, but you yeah. could not have asked for. You know, you're playing two divisional opponents, so uh, you're, you're you're familiar with them, and you know they uh, Atlanta can score, and so that that'll be the question. The question will be, can Lawrence come back and score? You know, not having your quarterback, and and so it couldn't have laid out any better for you. And 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 what's weird for for the Saints is, you know, you would love to win them all, but honestly. 
three and one probably gets you where you want to go. Two and two yeah. doesn't hurt you too bad. You know, it, it 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 hurts you as far as the NFC overall is concerned. But uh, if they go three and one and you really win the, the next two division games, you're already division champs. You know, and that's sure. without Drew being being even a part of it. Um, so you know, we just have to really you take care of this week. Then you set yourself up really well um, as far as division is concerned, and then you just have to keep the ship in the water until uh, you know the leader comes back. Only thirty seconds left. Gut feeling: is it Jameis or is it Taysom? I think it's both. You know, I think it's both right now, uh, and he's going to try to see who has the hot hand. But he'll devise a game plan for both of those guys. With, with Taysom, he will probably have more plays than what we've seen the last couple of weeks. But I think you'll see both guys. All right. Certainly is going to be interesting to see how this uh, plays out. Uh, thanks for taking some time out for us while you were in carpool line this afternoon. I get it. Uh, absolutely, I get it. Got to take care of the important stuff. That's the most important. Absolutely. Deuce, you're the best. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you, guys. That's Deuce McAllister joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. I asked him, Jameis or Taysom, and he said both. That's a gut feeling at this point. And I think that probably makes sense. Probably Jameis is your starter, but you get a bigger sampling of Taysom Hill than what you've gotten throughout the course of the year. You guys get on board with that? Yeah, I expect that. That's the way it's going to be. Although Taysom Hill has the pocket presence of a tortoise. So if you're going to (laughs) line him up and let him try to throw the football, um, that worries me. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks to Deuce McAllister for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Got a bunch to get to on the uh, C Spire text line. It's a story I must share with you. This is from CBS News. California. A California man. A man wanted for his role in an alleged $35 million Ponzi scheme was involved in a vehicle chase. He was in a pickup truck trying to evade federal agents, the FBI. And when it felt like they had caught him, he pulled off, jumped out of his truck, grabbed a device, and jumped into the frigid waters of California's largest reservoir. And he went under the water for about 25 minutes. Matthew Piercy grabbed a Yamaha 350LI sea scooter, a submersible device that can pull you underneath the water. So he abandoned his truck near the edge of Lake Shasta, pulled something out of it, and swam into the lake, spent some time out of sight underwater where law enforcement officials could only see bubbles. Agents later learned Piercy had a sea scooter, a motorized device that pulls users underwater at speeds of about four miles per hour. A Yamaha tutorial video describes the sea scooter as having underwater propulsion that allows users to cruise at depths of 100 feet below the surface. Piercy is accused of bilking investors into giving $35 million to his company, promising guaranteed returns using an up-vesting fund, which was an algorithm uh, algorithmic trading fund with a history of success, or at least that's what he sold investors on. 
He privately admitted to an associate that there was no upvesting fund. There is a, um, I guess, co-defendant in this who was initially brought on or recruited as an investor, but decided to go to work with management responsibilities in the company instead. He's facing charges including wire fraud, mail fraud, money laundering, and witness tampering, facing up to 20 years in prison and hundreds of thousands of dollars in fine. And by the way, the money that he spent on stuff apparently cannot be liquidated to repay investors. I don't know. I mean, there's there's lots in this story, but the part that I kind of would like to get a Yamaha 350LI. That sounds like so much fun. It's very James Bond-esque. Yes. Saw a video on YouTube last night of a couple of guys that almost got arrested, but they actually got the appropriate permit. They took what was uh they they made their truck into a monster truck, gave it a big lift and all that stuff, and attached three massive monster truck tires on the front and on the back of the truck so it would float. And they drove it into the ocean in Florida. They started in one of the canals and ended up taking it out to the ocean. They were moving at like three knots or something. But the treads on the tires were big enough to where all they had to do was just drive and it would propel the truck forward. And the Coast Guard came and (laughs) police came and sheriffs on all these boats. And uh, they almost got arrested. But man, they had the permits and everything. And they spray painted the serial numbers on their truck to make it illegal water operating vessel and it was just a monster truck with a bunch of tires strapped to it to make it float i want one of these they're like 1200 bucks i mean i guess you would get goggles or or something along those lines and some sort of a breathing apparatus and then go underwater exploring well christmas is coming up richard tell your wife yeah, I'm not sure that uh, that will fit on the Christmas list. Sardis with that kind of thing. But say you go out to Sardis with this, you ain't got no problems. Catfish, some Tridel's Mercedes that she decided to take mudding to impress her friends is buried out there. Brown oh, water. You get underwater at Sardis, and uh, I mean, I absolutely love that lake. That is my happy place. But it is not exactly crystal clear. I mean, you you could you could be underwater with goggles on and have a fish three feet from your face and not see it. Some of the time, it's not always like that. Some of the time. <sighs> so you think there's a Mercedes on the bottom of Sardis Lake, Borky? Oh, I've just seen that event happen a thousand times. Yeah, L- little little Caroline with her sorority letters on the back. Stop! Just, I just hung up on you once. Don't call back. Jeez. In Dad's Mercedes, taking it out to Sardis to get stuck in the mud. I mean, I've seen that so many times. Or it could go another way. It could be like, you know, she got she got into a, a wreck. She's like, I got to get rid of the car. Daddy will buy me a new one. Hey! I, I, said, I said odds, minus 175 there's a car in Sardis. Yes. There was like three cars in the New Orleans canals when they cleaned them out a, a few months ago. So if there's cars there, there's cars in Sardis. Yeah, the only issue with Sardis is the the water level fluctuates so dramatically from summer to winter. You would feel like if there was a car, the water it never would get uh, far yeah. enough out that I don't know. There might be some ingenuity in some of those college students really trying to get one out there. 
Yeah, I don't know. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be more serious when we come back. Maybe. Uh, Things you'll do to your vehicle when you didn't buy it. (laughs) A little carryover from the last segment. We're glad to be with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with the C Spire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how C Spire can power your success today at cspire.com slash business. We are glad to have you along. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated will join us in about 15 minutes. I have to read this text to you. I will withhold the names to protect the innocent or not so much. Got this right as we were finishing up with regard to vehicles in Sardis Lake. One of my buddies, when I was a freshman at Ole Miss, drove his blue IROC Z28, that's a Camaro, out to Sardis onto the beach with his girlfriend and got stuck. He rode back to town with somebody else, planning to go back the next day to get it. Overnight, A heavy rain. The next day, completely submerged. Had to have a guy with a bulldozer, not a tow truck, a bulldozer come out and pull it out of the mud. I'll tell you this about Sardis. There are areas that are like a cross between quicksand and gumbo mud. So I mentioned a second ago, the, the, it's, a, um, it's a flood control lake. It's controlled by the Army Corps of Engineers. And so the water level varies seasonally based on how much they're able to let out through the dam that will flow downstream. And it gets usually way, way down in the wintertime. There are areas where it just looks sandy, where it's like a sandy crust that's only a couple of inches thick, and if you get in the wrong spot, you can find yourself absolutely buried, whether it is on a four-wheeler or a side-by-side or in a Jeep or in a truck or in a tractor. (laughs) Almost all of the things mentioned I have seen in that precarious situation at one point or another. Uh, I'm not saying that's from personal experience. Maybe I'm saying that's from personal experience. I'm just saying. Hey, Dad, what is there? I mean, I know there are some smaller bodies of water. Is there a lake pretty close in proximity to Starkville where Mississippi State students go a lot? They go to the refuge. Okay. Fish, ski, etc. Yeah. I don't know about water skiing, but fishing, yeah. Okay. I know my brother-in-law used to, he went to Mississippi State, and they used to ski a good bit. I'm, I'm just not sure exactly where they went. So I'm trying to think. Anyway. I went out a few years back on the 4th. Somebody invited us out to go water skiing and, and stuff like that, but I don't remember where we were. It was near here. Did you ski? It wasn't, it was, I, no, but I did the, uh, they had one of those big things they just drag behind the boat that a bunch of people can sit on. I did that. Inner tube? I, I guess, yeah, but it was massive. I would have liked to have seen you trying to ski. 
I'm sure you would have. I'm sure that would be on YouTube and that of over 10 million views to this day. Would you like? Was the opportunity there for you to try? I I don't recall. Uh, okay, it's been it's been a long time. Fair enough. Uh, John in Oxford says had a guy on our floor freshman year, 1999, drive his brand new Jeep Cherokee out to Sardis and submerged it. This is not a unique story, by the way, to 1999 or 1994 or 2006. It happens every single year. Every year. Borky, you probably saw it, right? A couple right? of times a weekend. Yeah, it's possible. That that beach, though, was an awesome place to hang out when the lake would be low. I mean, because you would have, like, hundreds of yards wide just beach. you pull your cars out there and dig a fire pit and all that stuff. Man, that was awesome when life was yeah. much simpler than it is right now. Yeah. What do you want to do today? Uh, I don't know. I got nothing to do. Let's go dig I a hole my out wife, on the beach we, and Yeah. I asked my wife. We were on the we were on the Tom Bigby River that day. Okay. There you go. Yeah, a bunch of responses. So uh folks saying only water skiing I did in Starkville is on the Tom Bigby. Somebody said Tin Tom. Uh Linda Fulton says or maybe it's Linda in Fulton uh says it's called a Big Bertha. That's the kind of couch style tube. They make the flat ones, but then also the ones that are like almost like a really big, oversized love seat. So you can just sit on and be pulled behind on a boat. Um, Rusty in Greenville says Lake Lowndes in Columbus might be a possibility. Uh, Octibaha Lake is close to full. Is Octibaha Lake's the one they had the, the issues with, right? I believe that's right, yeah. Like there was big concern about the, uh, the levee breaking. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the issue. Yeah, you're right. Uh, somebody said Octibaha Lake, and uh, anyway. So anyway, yes, we are off the uh, rails. That's fun, though. That's fun topic. It's 2020, well, baby. The year, the year is off the rails. We'll do what we want. It is. Um, Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. You guys opened a can of worms with Sardis talk. Whoo boy, that's what somebody said. Somebody says on the Oxford side, I like Grenada Lake. Okay. Man, we used to take those uh, disintegrating golf balls and go hit balls out there at Sardis, just into the lake. Really? Oh, yeah. Do they disintegrate, or am I still picking them up now? Well, have you picked one up yet? No, there's... There's a lot that could be picked up along the edges. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, no, we actually we did get the ones that dissolved in water. And they didn't really go anywhere, but it looked like they were going a mile because that lake is just so flat and vast. You know, it looks like you're hitting 500-yard bombs. That was fun. <laughs> it's amazing what you do to pass the time or entertain yourself while in college. You're not kidding. No doubt. Smitty says he likes Enid. Great spot also. Big crappie in there. A lot of great lakes in North Mississippi. Just great spots to get out and enjoy the outdoors. Monday night football last night, do anything for you? Oh, well, the pick of the day won. There you go. You like that, don't you? Have you gotten a uh, a trolling text about that? Or did that cost oh, somebody some he's, money? He's quiet today. Imagine that. So, 
What was that? Probably reading Gene's page. <laughs> yeah, we've come to learn uh, our friend, the Borky Troll, basically copy and paste the texts he sends to this show onto a Mississippi State message board. But he swears it is not him, it's but his son. his son is on that message board. He's an Ole Miss fan. But the same things, word for word, that he texts into our show about me, magically, word for word, show up on Mississippi State message boards, but he didn't post on them. His son does, though. Huh. It's almost like this guy's full of crap, but yeah. Vikings won 19-13 last night over the Bears. Bears were up, what, 13-7? to Yeah, it was thirteen to seven mid third quarter, and then yeah, Chicago they did nothing. The- yeah, Cordero Patterson, the former Tennessee Volunteer. I read somebody on uh, on Twitter said Cordero Patterson's great for like seven or eight plays a year. Beyond that, nothing. It was his eighth touchdown return on a kickoff of his uh, of his career, and uh, the Bears did nothing offensively after that. Kirk Cousins threw for 292 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Dalvin Cook had 96 yards on the ground. And the Vikings got to 4-5. and five. And, Borky, you, you get some credit here for, one, calling the Bears frauds about a month ago. Yes, yes. And also for looking at the Vikings as a team that is potentially trending in the right direction. Maybe. Yeah, they are. I really like Dalvin Cook. My goodness, is he shifty. He's a good player. Good player. Good good in college. Just needed to get healthy. He was really good in college. Yeah. Really good in college. Um, so we've got lines on games involving SEC teams this week. There are six games that are currently scheduled. And by this point last week, we had at least three cancellations with another one coming pretty quickly. I mean, I think getting to Tuesday afternoon and still having six games on the docket is probably a pretty good sign. Florida's a big favorite. LSU is an underdog to Arkansas. Who would have believed that a year ago? It was 43 points last year. LSU, LSU was a 43-point favorite. Yeah. Talk about flipping Goodness. the script, am I right? You are correct. Georgia, big favorite against Mississippi State. Auburn, favorite against Tennessee. Missouri, favored at South Carolina. We'll get into those coming up a little bit later. Ross Dallinger from Sports Illustrated joins us next. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's go back to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Ross, I'm laughing because oh we have a God. video stream. We have a, a video stream that goes along with the show at um, supertalktv.com, and we usually put a headshot of the guest. Apparently there's a Ross Dellinger bobblehead that is now your headshot. Uh a bobble, yeah, I do have my wife bought me a bobble head. Uh, now, I didn't think I'd taken a picture of it, but I guess at some point uh, when she got it for me, I probably did take a picture and may have put it on Facebook or something. Uh, but yeah, she so Liz bought me a bobble head probably this is probably three, four years ago for my birthday. 
She ordered it from China. Uh, it came in a box. It has uh, it has me in flip flops, shorts, and it has a whiskey cup glass in my hand. So it, it's perfect. Well, this is only uh, shoulders up, so we can't see the uh, the bourbon glass, the the tumbler, as it were. Uh, Borky, is this your doing? Yeah, yeah. I just I honestly just googled Ross Dellinger to try to mix up the pictures a little bit, and <laughs> this was in the results. This is uh, this is exceptionally well done. If you can take uh, your editing skills to the next level, so that the head actually bobbles while it sits there on the live stream, that'd be great. Um. Ross, glass half full of bourbon, I suppose, or half empty. Uh, I, w- I was looking at the the replies to Greg McElroy's tweet from uh, last week, where he pointed to the fact that there had been 406 games scheduled, and you know, 85 percent of them have been played, and the replies were something else. And somebody said that, well, yeah, that means we had 352 super spreader events. How, how are you looking at this, G- given? Where we have gotten into the season and how much coverage and reporting you've done of this story going all the way back to, good grief, June, July, earlier than that? Yeah. Um, well, first off, uh, uh, let me start with, you know, on administrators are not seeing on-field transmission of the virus. And they, they've got, yeah. you know, ways to track that and stuff. So that's a good thing. Uh I still think it's almost too early to say if if game crowds, uh, which most people are doing, you know, twenty to thirty percent attendance, uh, are super spreader events. I'm not sure that there's data yet uh, out on that. Um, certainly, there was concern from a lot of you know epidemiologists and physicians over the summer and into the season when they found out that there were going to be fans allowed. There was serious concern. I mean, I talked to the Mississippi State, uh, or not Mississippi, the state of Mississippi's health department um, official, chief, health health chief, and he was really concerned. I mean, I remember him expressing real concern about having even 25% at um, Mississippi State and Ole Miss games. But I don't think we have enough data. I don't think we've seen real big kind of outbreaks. Um, even during the field storming of Notre Dame game a couple weeks ago, after the win over Clemson, we, you know, Notre Dame didn't have any kind of outbreak. Everybody kind of expected it, and Notre Dame didn't have uh, any outbreak. So those are certainly the good things that, that we're seeing. Um, doctors will tell you uh, the bad things are we don't know the long-term effect of the virus. In you know, there's a large percent of college football players who have contracted it, and probably a large percent of uh, coaching staffs who have contracted it. You've heard um, like people like Ed Orgeron and, and other coaches even say most of my team or a, a great portion of my team have had it. An A&M offensive lineman I saw a couple of days ago created a buzz, or maybe yesterday created a buzz by saying all Tweeting of the his own horn. linemen from A&M yeah, have, have had it and, and said something like, we've done a great job with herd immunity. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you, you know, epidemiologists <laughs> and physicians are rolling over uh, before they get to the grave. I mean, it, it, that, those are things that are, you know, a concern for the medical community. But uh, so there's been positives and, and there's been negatives. And, of course, as Greg pointed out, there have been a lot of games played. Uh, in about, we were at a 15%, I think, clip on games that have postponed. And that number continues to go maybe a slight increase. We've seen a slight increase in that. But it's kind of going back and forth because, 
um, we've obviously had the addition of a lot more games being played with the other conferences, Pac-12, Big Ten, starting to play more games. So that number have stayed in between the 12 and like 16% mark, um, which I don't – people keep asking me, is that what you expected? Is that what administrators expected? I don't know if anybody had a number expectation, but I can tell you this. I'm talking to Greg Sankey and um, – and Swolford in the ACC, and um, Bob Bowlesby in the Big 12, they are fairly pleased at yeah. what has happened you know, thus far this season. It's almost like if you had said to them in the second week of September, the, the road is going to be bumpy, but I promise you you're going to be able to play seven or eight games at minimum. It kind of feels like they probably would have signed up for that, given the unknown. But once you get to the point where you've played seven or eight games, you really want to get to the finish line. You do. And I think the answer to the first question, would, would they, you know, if you told them uh, in August that they would play at least seven games, I think they probably would have taken that in a, in, in a pretty quick heartbeat. Uh, I think they would have taken that. But you're right, you're we're now invested. I know there's a lot of buzz going on right now. I think yesterday maybe Lincoln Riley or maybe over the weekend said nobody – would anybody – I think he maybe posed the question, would anybody really be surprised if we shut down everything right now in college football just because of the amount of outbreaks we're seeing and postponements? Um, so he himself is doubting it as a, a head coach. Uh, so there are certainly doubters out there and, and people that believe it should be shut down right now because of the, the, the national landscape of COVID cases, how we're going up and kind of skyrocketing uh, in the amount of postponements, more and more we're seeing. I think 30% of college games in the last two weeks have been postponed. Um, so that number continues to increase. So a lot of people maybe believe that we should shut down. But, and I was talking about this with another writer recently, you're so invested right now. Um, yeah. in, in you can see the finish line. It's right there, two to three weeks away in the regular season, in a month away or so, uh, in the postseason. And you're, you're right there that you're just so invested, you're so in deep. I just I see no other way than them continuing to march on. It really gets complicated from a scheduling standpoint for anything in the SEC that gets postponed after this weekend, right? It does, uh, and really it got complicated yesterday when, when A&M and Ole Miss's game was postponed, which we all kind of expected. Uh, I had pretty much heard Sunday night it was done, and they were just waiting to get the final numbers tallied Monday, but it wasn't changing, uh, yeah. and that really complicated matters. And the big, the big issue is, is that LSU um, has games against the two div- potential, likely, whatever you want to call them, division champions, Alabama and Florida, that they have been postponed. And so right now, the LSU-Florida game has been slotted for December 12th, the makeup weekend. And the LSU-Alabama game doesn't have a place to go because Alabama is probably likely to compete in the championship game uh, on the date of the other makeup weekend, on December 19th. So right now, the league is trying to figure out a way, right, to, for two things to happen. To play that LSU-Alabama game and not to have to avoid having Florida play a game the weekend before the championship game in Alabama, not play a game the weekend of the championship game. And I don't know how you figure that out, except to move 
the LSU Ole Miss game to December 19th and play LSU Alabama in its place on December 5th and move Alabama, I think it's Alabama-Arkansas, to December December 12th. 12th. The problem with that, of course, which is what happened yesterday, is now the Ole Miss A&M game is penciled in for December 19th because A&M already has a postponement with uh, Tennessee um, on December 12th. And so it's in in further complicating matters is A&M is in a real possibility to be in contention for a playoff berth, and an 8-1 and A&M isn't as strong as a 9-1 and A&M. So, so really Michael Borky came up with the solution on this. He says you play Ole Miss A&M on December 12th and A&M Tennessee on December 19th, and you play Ole Miss LSU on December 19th. That's how you get them all in. So you're you're talking about, oh you're talking about oh A and A and M Tennessee would would be on the nineteenth. Yep, is that what you're saying? Oh, push okay. it to the nineteenth and you play yeah. Ole Miss A and M on December twelfth. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, yeah, that make that makes sense. You just swap them. Uh, I, I haven't seen Tennessee's schedule, but if they got that only one postponement, then that that could make sense. Yeah, we might we might see. Um, that happen, or we might see a team or teams only play nine games. All of those possibilities are on the table. I'm mad that we run out of time because I wanted to ask you about Hugh Freeze in South Carolina. I know you wrote a big story about Hugh a few weeks ago, but uh, I guess we'll have to hold that until next time. Always appreciate your time, Ross. Good visiting with you. All right, Richard. Thanks. Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated. See, if we spent less time talking about the bobblehead, I could have gotten Ross to opine on Hugh Freeze. My bad. That bobblehead was fantastic, though. Isn't that awesome? That was fantastic. Well done, Michael Borky. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. An interesting conversation yesterday about the South Carolina job with regard to Hugh Freeze. You know, there's been some thought that the SEC office would throw up a stop sign and say, no, you can't do this. I don't even know if that's asking the right question, though. I'm not convinced that the SEC would say, no, you can't do this. I think the SEC would say, all right, eyes wide open. Here's what you're getting into. This coach cost a program in the Southeastern Conference $20 million in legal fees. Not to mention two years of postseason revenue and the NCAA stuff that went along with it. You make the call. I mean, if you want to take that risk, so be it. But I think the question is not whether South Carolina fans want it, but does the administration at South Carolina want to go down that road? 
And I don't even know that that's necessarily a Ray Tanner question. If you're going to hire someone like Hugh Freeze, who we know is a really good football coach and coach of ball plays, and had success recruiting. And those are the most important things, right? Can you get players, and can you coach them up once you get them? Are you willing to take the risk? And I don't think that's a decision that Ray Tanner is going to get to make on his own. I mean, that's a presidential-level decision. So, do you believe that Hugh Freeze is South Carolina's first choice? No. You think it's Billy Napier? I think so, uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, but it, that's a, a really good question because I, there are, and it depends on the pressure at South Carolina, right? Because I don't know if you knew this, there's uh, a rival of theirs not too far from Columbia that is winning national championships and going to the playoff every year. So, how much pressure is there to say, forget it? If there's some additional baggage that we don't know is there, we just hope it doesn't come out because what we have to do right now is to win ball games because Clemson's doing it and our fans cannot take it anymore. Dabo versus Freeze. Oh, gosh. Oh. Just a thing of beauty. As far as I know, Dabo isn't, uh, you know, you know. No, I'm talking about uh, interacting with media behind the scenes and being. Anyway, point is, um, <laughs> but, but, but wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say that? Let's say Napier's one. That's fine. Napier's a fantastic coach, right? If Freeze is two, I mean, if if he's not two, you have some explaining to do, right? If you hire somebody other than if you can't get Napier, he'd say he just I'm not interested. And then you you go somewhere else and you didn't really reach out to Freeze. Your fans are going to want to know why. I think. I think and, you can you explain can try, that away. But, but is, isn't I think you your can explain that away. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, your your explanation has to be he's been a head coach in the SEC at a program. Whether you like hearing this or not, is on comparable footing to our program. Terms of budget and historical success, actually more, yeah. much more successful historically. Yeah, he's he, he's had a job like this before, and he cost his university twenty million dollars. They received serious NCAA penalties on his watch, and they lost eight million dollars in postseason revenue. I mean, I, I get that. But then you can also, my retort to that would be, he didn't lose that because of what he was doing on the field. He was winning on the field. And, you know, everybody, you get a second chance in this life. You know, now, don't take that as me saying, you know, Hugh Freeze is a good guy or anything. I'm just saying, you know, five years away, it feels like that's enough time to say, all right, you got a second chance. And yeah, it's a second chance. If Will Muschamp can get a second chance after not being able to win, which is the primary job of a football coach, he yeah. freeze to get a second chance because he ran afoul of the NCAA. It's interesting as I've talked to some people who have... You wouldn't know this just based on what you see on camera or what it feels like his persona is in dealing with the media. But apparently Will Muschamp is one of the most liked people in college football. 
Like people that work with him and work for him adore him. I just found that interesting. I don't know that I would have thought that based on him looking like his head is going to explode on the sideline sometimes. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why he got that second opportunity. He didn't leave Florida with such a mess. I I mean, that's what South Carolina is dealing with right now. And Jeff in Oxford says, Freeze has his eyes on a bigger prize than South Carolina. Everyone's acting like he's interested in South Carolina. I promise you. I haven't spoken to Freeze directly, but I can guarantee you if Ray Tanner calls, he's picking up the phone and he's interested. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, eyes on bigger prize like what? That may not be his, like, you know what, if I could just pick a job? No. That's the one I would pick? But it might be the best available. Yeah, because, I mean, call me crazy, I don't think Michigan's calling him. They value themselves much higher than that, which is you know a joke in and of itself, but they think of themselves a lot higher than that. I don't think Michigan's calling him, and I don't think anybody else better is making a change. I've heard a lot of people mention Tennessee, that that would be kind of a dream spot for him, kind of a second to dream spot for him. I don't think Jeremy Pruitt's going anywhere for a while. It's hard right now, but... See, I think only Clay Helton is probably going anywhere. I mean, and and look, I mean, I mean, they're like they're just humor me this for a second when I say Hugh Freeze, Southern Cal. Culturally, I don't think that works. Hugh Freeze's offense with access to players like that would work, and it would work big, yeah. huge. See, and we get a couple. But I don't know that that's a fit. Right. We get a couple. One says, what is more important, moral values or wins? And then another one, but he won the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I mean, some people are going to roll their eyes at this, but why is it that people just assume Freeze is the better coach than Napier? Seriously. Because he won a Sugar Bowl with a three loss team? It's a proven commodity. No, hold on a second. It's not that he won the Sugar Bowl. The Sugar Bowl was like the icing on top. Hugh, Hugh Freeze's career is built on beating Alabama twice when and, nobody was beating Alabama. Yeah, and in, I mean, one, of those years, he, built on. in one of those years I he lost to this. Memphis. I can say this because, and I, you know, because you know I'm coming at it from a different angle, but if the NCAA stuff doesn't happen, he has Ole Miss poised to go to another level to become a consistent 9-10 win program that can, that can more than occasionally – Reached the SEC championship game. Yeah, but it, no question about that. But it did happen. I, I, she, but well, I mean, I get that. But you know, if if some things out, maybe something he, he some of those things were inside his control. Some of them weren't. If the things that aren't outside of his control don't happen, maybe they don't happen. Then maybe nothing happens. Maybe Hugh Freeze just keeps on plugging along and keeps bringing in top ten classes, and out and Ole Miss is, you know makes it to Atlanta a couple times. It, that's possible. But I, I guess my question is, who's to say Napier can't do that? Because if you look at what he's done, if you're Ray Tanner right now, and your choice is guy that is an excellent football coach that if he didn't get in NCAA trouble was going to win at a high level at Ole Miss, but there's baggage, there's questions, and there's more questions about what else is there. Or you can hire a guy that played college ball in your state, got his coaching start in your state, coached under Dabo Sweeney, coached under Nick Saban, and is now leading Louisiana Lafayette to perpetually ranked. Which guy are you choosing? 
because I, I don't think I, the scales are so easily in Freeze's favor here. You got to look at Napier's body of work as a coach. It's extremely impressive. I, I have a friend who has a family member that, while he was in school at Alabama, worked with the football team, and he saw a bunch of the big time coordinators come and go. It was around Kirby, was around Michael Wayne, was around Billy Napier. And others. And said, without question, when it's all said and done. Now, this is obviously an opinion. When it's all said and done, when when we get two and a half decades down the road and we look at all the former Nick Saban assistants who went on to do other things, Billy Napier is the one that will have had the most success. I thought that was an interesting perspective. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. We'll continue the conversation after this. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. A couple of messages on the ceasefire text line suggest that Texas might, could, should, be a landing spot for Hugh Freeze going forward. Not this year. Yeah, I don't think Texas is making a change right now. Hey, Dan, I told Borky a second ago in the break that in some ways, Hugh Freeze and Billy Napier are in a very similar place. Billy Napier, I think I feel confident in saying this, Billy Napier could have had the Mississippi State job last year. Yes, could have. It was it was there for the taking, and for whatever reason or reasons, that ultimately didn't work out. And Billy Napier was in a position where, one, he was making a really good income at a smaller school that cares about football. Louisiana cares about football, and they've really invested in that program. And he's making a good salary. Two, he knew he was going to have a good team coming back, and the window for him to make a jump was not closing. It was not a deal where he had built this magical team where they were going to be able to go 11-1 and and get to a bowl game and win it, and he knew that this year or next year was going to be a disaster of a rebuild. Yeah, He knew he had a team coming back that was going to win the league or compete for a league title. And so the window wasn't closing for him. And he wasn't offered the right job at that moment. Sort of like you think about like Mullen. You know, Mullen, was 2018 could have been a huge year for Mississippi State if Mullen had stayed. But the right job came his way. So yeah. he went. With and and, and frankly, right two job. right jobs came his way. Yeah, he really, just chose yeah. Florida. Yeah. I, I think most people know this. Dan Mullen was going to Tennessee. Yes. He was taking the Tennessee job. Yes. And then he did. Car was running, the bags were packed. He was just waiting yes. to jump in. Dan Mullen was not going to be back in Starkville. He was either going to be in Knoxville or, as it turned out, Gainesville. Yeah. Um, but in some ways, anyway, the point that I was making was about Hugh Freeze in that, in the same way that Billy Napier a year ago had opportunity but knew that he also could stay where he was 
be happy and not lose that opportunity going forward, Hugh Freeze is kind of in that spot. He's got Liberty moving in the right direction. If the reports are accurate, he is about to be the highest or certainly one of the highest group of five uh, paid group of five coaches in the entire country. Private school, so they don't release it, but three to four million is what was suggested. And he's going to have a good team again next year. And so it's not like the what and he's going to be a year farther removed from everything that is now in the rearview mirror for him. Jason points out on the Super Talk Mississippi, or I'm sorry, the uh, C Spire text line, Chip Kelly is gone as soon as UCLA can do it. So is Kevin Sumlin at Arizona. There are going to be plenty of jobs open in the next year, even if the SEC doesn't come through. You can see Hugh Freeze making sense at the right place in the Big 12. He talks pretty openly about being a Mississippi guy. And if you want to expand it out from that, being a Southern guy, I don't know if Pac-12 is the best fit or not. Somebody says, I'm sure you guys are talking about the South Carolina job opening, and I just now tuned in, but what are your thoughts about James Franklin from Penn State? Saw the comments that Jordan Rogers made about it. Yeah, Jordan Rogers opined that James Franklin might take the South Carolina job. That feels like a step down. Unless they're just looking to push him out. Feels like a restart to me. Yeah, they're pushing him out at Penn State, sure, but if he's not getting that, you know. Might be one of those things where he looks down right now and future's not bright at Penn State, he can get a restart and a nice, big, fat, long contract at South Carolina in a division he's won before at a place that had far less resources than South Carolina. Yeah. That, that's a weird deal at Penn State. See, of course there's fan angst, but he lost a handful of guys that most teams could not survive losing going into the season. I like that guy James Franklin being off in the Big Ten. Not not a huge fan. <laughs> not a huge fan. Uh, Herschel and Laurel says, compare. Freeze is a proven winner with a team in what is certainly considered the strongest conference in the in college football. Napier is a proven winner with a team in the same level of conference play as Conference USA or the Sun Belt. Level of talent and competition does not compare between the two. That's a false equivalence, though, because Billy Napier is coaching with the same caliber kids as all of his opponents, and he beats them every week. And he went to yeah, Iowa State. Think you can false you equivalence in there. That's exciting. Yeah, and, and then he goes to Iowa State and beats them, yeah. which is a significant step up from the players he's got. Billy Napier has had more success at Louisiana than Hugh Freeze had at Arkansas State, than Gus Malzahn had at Arkansas State, and it didn't keep those guys from being able to step up and handle the transition. I get what you're saying. I just don't really agree. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour on this Tuesday. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Keith Carter, he is the athletics director at Ole Miss. And uh, Keith, uh, in some ways, the, the last three or four weeks of this football season with regard to the SEC schedule feel like a little bit of a shell game where it's like you're just moving pieces around, moving pieces around. Is that a good way to describe it right now? I, I know you have called it a fluid situation. 
Yeah, I think sometimes we're forced to use a little more um, AD terms, Richard, than than the shell game. But I, I think you're I think you're right. I mean, I think we we've gotten to the point where, you know, now we're we're really we're dealing with some serious uh, situations. You know, I think that we're running out of weeks to to play some of these games, and and you know, the SEC by and large, the first five or six seven weeks of the season, you know, was pretty lucky uh, from the standpoint of getting the games in. I know you know we here at Ole Miss have been very fortunate to. To have handled COVID in, in a in a good way, and, and been fortunate for that. But uh, you know, now we're, we we got to do what we got to do, and, and I think you know you've seen some of these things that have come out from the league and trying to be creative and, and trying to find ways to, to get the games played. So uh, we'll continue to do that. But uh, I certainly think here over the next four or five weeks, it's going to be very interesting. As a group, you guys voted for some scheduling flexibility over these final few weeks, and that certainly makes sense. Was there discussion about? adding teams that are available to play uh, as opposed to just sticking with who was currently on your schedule so that you could potentially have a chance to get everybody 10 games? No, you know, that, that was really never on the table, Richard. You know, I think for us, the, the solutions we were trying to find, you know, all involved, you know, keeping the, the, the schedules the same, making sure that you're playing the same opponents, um, but just trying, you know, creative, finding creative ways to do that. And so, you know, again, I think the goal was that if you've got, you know, two healthy teams that are, are sitting at home based on the fact that their opponents can't play, then, you know, you try to find a way to play that game and, and, and hopefully that, then that opens up a week later on that, you know, a game combination, you know, you can use that to, to finish out the season. But, uh, you never really wanted to, to dive into picking up other opponents while I think it would have been highly entertaining for the fans and, and, and for the TV networks. Um, you know, that just was never, you know, part of the solution. I, I don't know if you can specifically answer this or not, and if you need to just, you know, skip over it, feel free. Is the most likely scenario for Ole Miss, though, at this point, assuming the games are able to be played, to get Mississippi State next weekend and then have December the 5th off and then play A&M and then LSU with, with those two kind of pushed back? Just kind of as you look at the moving pieces that would allow for all the games to be played? Yeah, I think if, if that's the way you're looking at it, you know, then certainly we could see some disruption in, in the way our games are currently scheduled. And, and that LSU game on the 5th would probably be the one where, you know, we might get asked to, to move that game to a later date. You know, if you're just looking at it from an Ole Miss perspective, I think we would, we would like to, to go ahead and just, you know, keep the, the Mississippi State game, the LSU game the same. And then you, you've got to figure out A&M down the stretch, which obviously, you know, points toward the 19th. You know, with them likely having a game against Tennessee on the 12th. So, uh, you know, again, yeah, I think there's still a lot of scenarios to play out. Um, but yeah, I think any of those things could potentially happen. And, you know, obviously we, we voted on a, on a scenario where, you know, we, we would be open to those type of moves. Yeah. Did it get close to having Mississippi State or LSU as an opponent this weekend based on kind of the testing stuff that was in place? I mean, was that, did that ever feel like there was a legitimate chance that that could have happened this weekend? Well, you know, I think with one of those teams, there was a little bit of a discussion uh, based on some testing. Uh, you know, I think both of those, all of those four opponents are, are scheduled to play and, and will likely be able to play. But there was one of those scenarios where they were a little close to the line and, and there was maybe an extra discussion on, let's just keep an eye on this. But, uh, you know, obviously I think now we're, we're moving forward and uh, we'll get to enjoy a nice weekend off. Keith, 
what is your perspective on what this season has been? Obviously, it's a unique season with no non-conference games, all conference games, first year of a new head coach, dealing with COVID, all of those things. But in terms of on the field, what's your perspective of how year one has gone under Lane Kiffin? Well, I'm excited. You know, I think that there's there's so much to be excited about. You know, you look at our offense and just some of the things we're doing. They're they're you know really pretty amazing. You know, with with some of the stuff that Matt and Elijah and really our whole offense is doing. It's been so fun to watch, and I think it's it's given a lot of energy. You know, around our program. You know, I think on the defensive side of the ball, we we've had some inconsistency. You know, obviously, and got to got to shore that up and 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 do some things there to to get better and. Um, but I think overall, you know, what we were trying to do was to, to bring energy back into the program. And I think we've certainly done that. You know, Coach Kiffin, uh, you know, has done a lot of that himself, which is the way he, he markets the program and, and brands himself and, and, and those type of things. And, and that's exactly what we wanted when, when we brought him in. So uh, I'm excited about that. But, you know, it, it's hard to really judge this year, honestly. You know, when you look at everything that's going on and, um, you know, just having to deal with disruption and, and opt-outs and, and so many different things. But uh, I would say overall it's been a good year. We certainly want to finish strong and uh, and hopefully go to a nice bowl game to cap it off. Visiting with Keith Carter, Athletics Director at Ole Miss, um, th- does Lane Kiffin keep you on your toes? He does. He does. And, uh, you know, it's been good. <laughs> it's been good. You know, I think, I think Lane, as we all know, is a guy that thinks outside the box and, you know, he's always trying to find ways to, to do things that, uh, you know, what I love about him is, is he's always looking for an advantage. You know, he's always looking for a way to, to put his team in a better position to win. And, and I think that's good. I think that's what you've got to do. You, you've got to, you've got to do that. And, and especially coming, you know, trying to get a program up and going and, and, and you know, uh, bring energy to the program. And I think it's been great. So we've had a lot of great conversations and I anticipate we'll have a few more. Keith, I, I probably should know the answer to this question, but I don't. Are, are we going forward with the early signing day, December signing day for football, even though there have been no visits, the the dead pit, uh, period for, I don't know if it's all sports or spring sports, was just recently recently pushed out to April 15th. Do we still have the December signing day like we've had for the last couple of years? We do. We do. And, and actually, the debt period uh, is, is going to be for all sports. It hasn't officially been extended yet to April, but all indications is that it will actually, I believe, meet tomorrow, uh, the council does. So, uh, yeah, not only are we going to sign kids in December that our coaches have never uh, physically met, uh, we're probably going to sign them in February that they've never physically met. So um, it's an interesting, you know, dynamic for sure. And you know, some of our other teams have had signing day in November. We obviously saw, you know, basketball and baseball and some of these other sports, you know, signed last week. And so um, it's hard. You know, it's really hard. And I think for, for coaches like Coach Davis and, and, and Coach Bianco that have kind of established programs have been there at least for a few years, um, you know, it's a little easier for them. But for a new staff, um, you know, it, it's hard. It's really hard when you're trying to, you know, establish what you're trying to do as a program and, you know, a lot of the sell of coming to Ole Miss is coming to Oxford and, and feeling Oxford, feeling the campus, and you know, learning a lot about what we what we do in Oxford and, and what we're about. And you know, not having that opportunity is going to make it difficult. But uh, I commend all of our coaches for working hard, being creative with the way they're recruiting, whether it be via Zoom or uh, you know, social media, those type of things. And uh, they've done a really good job of that. Keith, basketball season is scheduled to tip off in eight days. You get the announcement today that uh, Kermit Davis has tested positive. Uh, are you confident that there is going to be basketball at the Pavilion on the 25th, 26th, and 27th? 
Yeah, I think we are right now. Certainly, we're we're doing the contact tracing uh, from Coach Davis and kind of who he was around. But uh, you know, I think early indications is that we're going to be okay. Um, I did talk to Coach Davis this afternoon, and he's he's doing well, and and obviously isolating at home, and uh, you know, just you, you hate one for him to get the virus, and and you you, you pray and, and hope for his well being and, and his health there. But just from a basketball standpoint, just, you know, not great timing. Uh, I think the last two days of his isolation will be the first two games of that initial tournament. So, um, you know, Ronnie Hamilton will step up and, and, and coach the team. And uh, a lot of capable coaches over there that can do that. But, uh, you know, we'll wish Coach Davis the best and, and hopefully he can get back as soon as possible. We know that we've got minimum roster thresholds and position group thresholds for football. Is, is any of that language in place for basketball? No, it's it's not um, from a from a specific uh, position standpoint. Uh, and I'll be honest, Richard, there's been a lot of discussion going back between is it seven or eight players that you have to have available. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure where we've landed on that. Honestly, I need to find out. But there will be a threshold that if you don't have a certain amount of players, either seven or eight, that uh, you know you could you could postpone that game and. And, and play it at a later date. But it, All right, so i, I got to interrupt you there. What Wasn't there a game in your career? We were talking about this earlier. I think it was against Auburn on a Wednesday night where you guys went out and had only like six or seven that dressed out? Yeah, absolutely. My freshman year we played, I think we had five scholarship players and a couple of walk-ons and, and played the game. And, and that is an interesting dynamic. You know, obviously, you know, COVID is a little different because it's contagious and you've got all these things going on. But um, there, there are a lot of cases where, whether it's injuries, whether it's suspensions, you know, over the years, the teams have gone out there and played with, with you know, not a lot of horses. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out this year as well. Hunter had a big game that night, didn't he? He did, yeah. He had a couple shots and played played a lot of minutes. And uh, it took, took us all uh, that night. And it was a good win and, and you know, a game that uh, we look back on as kind of the springboard to some, some really good things. So, uh, it yeah. was good to see uh, to see Hunter out there that night. Hey, always appreciate your time. Thanks for the insight. Absolutely, Richard. Have a good one. It's Keith Carter, Athletics Director at Ole Miss. Appreciate Keith Carter joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Want double the data for the same dang price? Now all prepaid by C Spire plans. Get double the high-speed data through the end of the year. No bull, just better wireless. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. Uh, anything Keith Carter said that jumped out to you guys? On the basketball front, uh, he, you know, it's not official yet, but he seemed to think that the team was going to be okay to play here in a few weeks, or a couple weeks. Week and a day. Yeah. <laughs> it's close. It's really close. So that's good because I was worried about that. Ole Miss not being able to play in that tournament, I guess the other team still would have come to Oxford and, and played, I suppose, but that would have just that screwed the whole thing up. I mean, it just it, yeah. would, it would have made it a nightmare. So it sounds like, knock on wood, they're going to be able to play uh, that tournament here soon. Yeah. Said that they had um, not established a specific number, and with positionless basketball, it wouldn't be by position group. I mean, he said sounded like seven or eight. I don't guess he specified whether that would be scholarship or just period in terms of players. 
I'd love to see it just be period. I mean, everybody's got extra guys on their roster. It's a year unlike any other. You've got seven guys that can play, even if two or three of them are walk-ons, or eight guys that can play and two of them are walk-ons. Suit them up and play. Yeah. Just me, though. They would have to do that in a regular year if they were hit with unfortunate circumstances. So, That is correct. That is absolutely correct. Um, On the football front, you heard him say that Ole Miss, from a purely Ole Miss perspective, would like to see the schedule just remain as is with Mississippi State next week, LSU on December 5th, and then play A&M on either the 12th or the 19th. But he did point out that in voting for flexibility, all 14 schools kind of open themselves up to the possibility of having games moved around so that it makes the most sense for everyone. So we'll see where that goes. All right, we didn't do it at the uh, the top of the uh, 5 o'clock hour because Keith Carter was joining us. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. The holiday sales event is going on right now, which means great savings on the entire lineup of Ford vehicles, whether it's the Expedition or the Explorer or the F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. Stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer today and test drive the vehicle of your choosing. So, games that are scheduled to be played this week, let's take a look at the lines. Florida is a 31-and-a-half-point favorite at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt has played a little bit better, and they've kind of hung tough. Does that stop this week against Florida? I mean, they might make it an exciting game for, you know, a quarter and a half or something and try to keep themselves in it. But, yeah, eventually it's going, yeah. They don't don't have the guns to to go four quarters and keep it. Florida will probably cover. If you're talking line analysis, though, how much of what Florida's going to do is potentially going to be control the game and get out of here healthy because we've got an SEC championship to win. So you get, up, last week. you get up 17 points and you just kind of put it on cruise control and Ken Seals is doing some nice things and they're running the football well and Vanderbilt just kind of hangs around a little bit inside of but, five scores. The other side of that is Kyle Trask is a Heisman front runner now, yeah. and Mullen Ooh, might yeah. want to get that for his guy. I remember uh, Mullen wants to get year. that for himself. Let's be oh, honest yeah. here. <laughs> Dak's junior year, we, we there was a lot of talk during the week. They had a, a game against an FCS team. I think it was UT Martin. And we're like, how much is Dak really going to play? Dak played the whole game, the whole game. So, yeah. Am I looking at this right? So Arkansas was a favorite. Has this line moved? I'm looking at LSU now as a two-point favorite in Fayetteville against Arkansas. Yeah, it moved since this morning. Mm-hmm. Arkansas was a one-point favorite this morning. So you're telling me I can get Arkansas in Fayetteville on Saturday against LSU and I can get points? I'll meet you in Philadelphia, Richard. Let's go. Yes, please. Arkansas, Keith wasn't going to say it, I will. Arkansas is the team that was kind of hanging on the edge in terms of number of players available this week. But 
Barry Odom scheming against with, with that defense against LSU with one of two backup quarterbacks and that defense. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder if the bo- the odds makers know that there's particular players that may be out. I don't know. And, Maybe. and speaking of Missouri, Eli Drinkwitz today, they're they're also in some trouble, but fifty six players as of today that they can play. So they're going to, but fifty six is all they got. As as it sits today. Alabama's a thirty one point favorite at home against Kentucky. That game's at three o'clock on the SEC network on Saturday afternoon. Feels like Alabama can probably name its score. Yeah, probably so. Auburn is a ten and a half point favorite at home against Tennessee. Is Tennessee willing to move on from Pruitt? Not yet. Didn't they just? I asked this on the podcast. Didn't they just get out from under paying like three coaches? Like they just finished paying Butch Jones and Derek Dooley. I mean. It hasn't been that long since they were in maybe, a serious budget issue. Maybe they there. just want to say, you know what, let's just take another year and see what happens here. Yeah. I think Auburn will win, but 10.5, I could see Tennessee hanging around. I don't know. Look, we're only four losses removed from Tennessee having the longest winning streak in the country. That's true. <laughs> Funny how that works. Georgia is a 25-point favorite at home against Mississippi State on Saturday night. Also a game on the SEC Network, 6.30 kickoff in Athens. Total in that game is 44-and-a-half. Bet the under. You think? Yeah. You think there's some cracks coming in that Mississippi State defense, especially now that they've lost with, with Marcus Murphy out. Yeah, but but at that same time, I think I mean they lost forty-one nothing to Alabama, right? Alabama's much better offensively than Georgia yeah. is. So yeah, something like thirty-one nothing, thirty-one-seven, something like that. You alluded to the fact that there might be more coming at Mississippi mm-hmm. State. Anything else on that front? Seems to have seems to have settled down a little bit. Doesn't look like it's going to. I mean, it could still happen, but as of now, everything feels like it's it's set for where it is right now. If Missouri has enough players to play, they go to South Carolina on Saturday night, SEC Network alternate channel. Missouri is a six and a half point favorite at South Carolina. It was one before the must champ news, and they've had. I think four defensive starters have opt, opted out. I use the quotes there since that announcement. Both their starting cornerbacks opted out. You know, we talked about J.C. Horn yesterday, but they had a cornerback, a safety, and a defensive tackle in the last twenty-four Ooh. hours. Well, they opted out on Saturday night as well. But well, uh, the the question. So I, I've gone back and forth in my head on this because, on one hand, you have games left, and you should play them. Because this is quitting on your team. That's what it is. And you can say, and I would agree with you, that if you're faced a payday like this, I've never been faced a payday like J.C. Horn's going to get here in a few months. That has never happened to me. So I can't tell you how I would act if I was in his shoes. But this isn't opting out. This is quitting on your team with games left. However, 
didn't your school just tell you the rest of your season doesn't matter because they fired the coach that you went to school to play for? So I'm having I'm wrestling with my take on this because your school just told you the rest of this season does not matter. So why should you play? But on the other hand, you've got games left. You've committed to your teammates. They depend on you, and you're not there anymore. I'm tired of guys quitting. And I know there's not a lot of nuance in what I just said. I, I, I do understand that there are exceptions. We talked yesterday about Marcus Murphy being a notable exception. I'm okay with that. There are always exceptions to the rule. But I'm tired of watching guys quit. I don't love guys opting out of bowl games in the past. And look, you can you can come at me with the, well, these players aren't paid. Yeah, I know, but they signed on for something. And the schools held up their end of the bargain. They provided the scholarship. They provided the meals. They provided the medical care, et cetera, et cetera. Once you hold up your end of the bargain and play, because that's what you signed up to do, it was to play football. Saw this story, and uh, Quinn sent us a message about it as well. Doesn't really affect me, but I know this is a big deal. Borky, hope you didn't make plans to visit New Orleans in February. Latoya the Destroyer has struck again. There will be no Mardi Gras, says that's for the first time in his lifetime. That's crazy, man. Um, I have a buddy that lives down there, and I was talking to him earlier, and that now, I mean, COVID has really messed up people everywhere and businesses everywhere. But what that does to that city and for that to no longer exist is going to be devastating beyond recognition to the local businesses and bars and restaurants and hotels and everything there. On top of the significance of it for the locals. Yeah, I mean, our, our buddy Matt Moscona went on a bit of a rant about Mayor LaToya, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago. It was with regard to the Saints and having people at the games. And whew. They've got a uh they got a mess in New Orleans. Yeah. And they found out not a press conference or a release or anything. It just was uh posted on a website and that was it. Mm. That's how they found out. People dedicate their lives to this event. I mean, it's most people outside of that city, and my buddy put it into good perspective to me for me today because I've never lived there. Uh, but for us on the outside, if you've ever been, it's like you go down there to, to get drunk and party. But for people that are in it, that are in these crews that like are are involved in the event, it's a holiday. I mean, it's a it's a lifestyle for some of these people. They dedicate months and months of hard work and spare time into putting these things on. It's not just a party for for them. It's a it's their thing, you know. It's yeah. like it's like another Christmas. It is every bit as important to many of the folks in New Orleans as college football is to college football fans. Maybe more so. Yeah, because the religious be. significance. Yeah. The uh, long range forecast. 
is uh, 61 and partly cloudy for the Egg Bowl, low of 41. 3 o'clock in the afternoon kickoff, so what's that, uh, what, low 60s, upper 50s at kickoff? That's a problem for you. You I'll be, the Ole Miss press box is uh, is sealed up tight. Yeah. Oh, I'm not complaining at all. Not complaining at all for that forecast. Now we rain in low sixties on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, boo to that. How do you feel about no egg bowl on Thanksgiving Day this year? So I am a guy. I like it on Thanksgiving. It doesn't really affect me. Um, I, I understand why some people don't like it, but I like it. But that said, I mean, it doesn't really change anything. Instead of doing Thanksgiving dinner on Saturday now, I'll do it on Thursday, and I'll just work on Saturday. I do. I did, you know, like the idea of having Thanksgiving and all the college football going on because I care about that a lot more than I care about the Lions. But it yeah. is what it is. You know, we always still did Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day. We would just kind of move it up a little bit and would have uh. Thanksgiving lunch. You know, whether it was in Oxford or in Starkville. We would eat at eleven thirty or twelve, and if it was in Starkville, I'd get on the road by one and be there. You know, three thirty. We don't eat that early, so yeah. But, we um, get Ravens. We, 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 we would night, always though. do a yeah. That's true. We would always do a uh, a Thanksgiving tailgate, but it's not the same. You know, I like to have the, the dinner at the house. I'm glad Saints yeah. Falcons isn't on Thanksgiving like it was the past couple of years. Had to miss that watching the Egg Bowl. Do you do your uh, your dressing on the grill? You smoke. I'm it. sorry, I couldn't do it with a straight face. I tried. My wife I makes tried. the dressing. Thank you very much. There you go. Does she use the grill? No, I'll be using the grill on uh, on Thanksgiving Day. Really? What's yeah. going on the grill on Thanksgiving Day? We're gonna do a pork loin on the grill, and then we'll do okay. turkey in the oven. So turkey and pork loin. Yeah. No ham. Nah, you know I'm not really big on ham. I like ham, but it's not what? my favorite. No, I, say, I okay. like ham. Don't get me wrong, but it's just not. Yeah, ham for me is more Christmas too. We have we always have ham at Christmas. Yeah, I um, we we have kind of switched in recent years. We went for a, a pretty good stretch where I smoked turkeys on the big grill for Thanksgiving, but that got a little cumbersome with you know having to stay up most of the night oh, yeah. to do that and check on yeah. it and then get up and do relatively early Thanksgiving and then get to a ball game the following night, etc. Yeah. And so um, we've actually picked up turkey and ham from uh, free plug here, honey baked ham. The uh, last few years, and it is phenomenal. I I've never had their turkey, but I love a honey baked ham. Love yeah. it. And, and I don't look, like doing man, turkey. I like their turkey turkey's on the good grill. too. I like smoked turkey. I like fried turkey, but you can't make gravy if you don't cook the turkey in the oven. So, got to got to cook it in the oven. You can make gravy without cooking a turkey in the oven. Not really good turkey gravy. Okay, like giblet Maybe gravy. Yeah, oh yeah, they'll be. I'll use the parts. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were talking about uh, like smoked turkey recipes with JT and uh, and Malcolm Reed last week. Yeah, he and just put out a new one too. Almost every smoked turkey recipe you find has some sort of brining process. Yeah. You know, in, in salt water or whatever. That's not the way that I go, though. I, I've kind of gone a, a different route. I've kind of rubbed the turkey down with Wesson oil and salt it. And, you know, at, mm-hmm. once it's thawed and, and let it sit for a little while. Mm-hmm. But then I went with more of a kind of a citrusy yeah. turkey deal. 
So I would put it in a big cooking pan and then would do a mix of apple juice and cranberry juice that it sits in and then would stuff the turkey with some lemons, some oranges, Mm. and some sliced apples. Yeah. And then would do a little bit of garlic powder on the top. Yeah. And then basically would allow it to cook in the juice. That sounds great. And eight hours or so on the smoker, which is longer than they were talking about the other day, you know, eight hours at 250 or so degrees. Um, when we were still doing, uh, when Jane's grandparents were still alive, they lived in Port Gibson. I did three turkeys that year and had taken them off the grill. So they were sitting on the picnic table outside, and I was trying to transport from the aluminum pan that I'd cooked them in onto a serving platter. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dad, it slipped no, no. out no, of no. the pan, no. bounced across the serving platter, and it hit the concrete right below the picnic table. Splat. Mm-hmm. And you you think of that scene in uh, in Christmas Vacation where he cuts into it and like it's all completely dried yeah. up. and di- yeah. Wasn't that at all. It was so tender it fell apart. that when it hit the ground, everything just fell off the bone. Oh. And I could literally grab the bone, like the, the main carcass part of the turkey, and picked it up, and there was nothing left on it. And it was the tenderest turkey just eating it off the concrete. It's not what we serve for Thanksgiving. Thankfully, there are oh, a couple of rough. backups. But, yeah. I do. A, I, I, uh, I'd love rough. to have seen my face when that happened, though. I do a butter. I like make a flavored butter and I put it, push it under the skin and let the turkey cook with the butter and that keeps it moist. Seaspire text line Greg and Jackson says get a metal measuring cup and fill it with Dr. Pepper and put it inside the turkey. Okay. I don't know that there's a wrong way to do it, especially if you're going like slow smoke. I mean, it's all about getting flavor in there. Uh, so what did you guys pick yesterday? And be honest, I wasn't listening. And thank you, Richard, for saying giblet gravy correctly. I know people who say it like giblet. I, I said giblet, didn't I? It's giblet, though, isn't it? Did I, did I say giblet or giblet? Said, I don't remember what said I said. Giblet. You said giblet. Oh, okay. Yes. Sorry. I just read the text wrong. Yeah, um, it's, it's yeah. Borky, your uh, your buddy is going to be disappointed to know that you picked the winner correctly last night for Monday Night Football. He had the Vikings laying the points. And his rationale was he liked the way the Vikings were trending and thought the Bears were overrated and had called them a fraud. And he nailed it. So there you go. Um... I don't know that there's enough time. I know that there's not enough time to um, imp, um, unpack this right now. But we get a simple question that says, so how much trouble is LSU in? None. I, I, I saw one reaction. If you haven't read the USA Today story, Nancy Armour and somebody else wrote it. It is... A little horrifying. And I saw somebody go, oh, with regard to the NCAA, they won't be in trouble at all because they're LSU. But the United States Department of Education might be a different story. Like, 
um, systemic avoidance of following Title IX regulations. It's it's a mess. We'll see what comes from it. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.